It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith and the new devotional, Light for Today. Well, who knew praying before Congress would garner such incredible backlash from members of the Democratic Party? Well, but that's the divisiveness of the political world these days. Uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills California was invited by the Speaker, Mike Johnson, to give the invocation before Congress. Well, 26 Democrats signed a letter to to the Speaker accusing Pastor Hibbs of being a, quote, ill-qualified preacher who was pushing a Christian nationalist agenda. Well, we're meeting up with Pastor Hibbs at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, and he's the author of the new book, Living in the Days of Deception, How to Discern Truth from Culture's Lies. Well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Lauren, I found out that I actually hate Muslims, I hate Jews, I'm Poodles? I'm not sure. I, I've been labeled like you cannot believe. And so, yeah. In fact, a good friend of mine, Tony Perkins at the Family Research Council said, hey, I'm not I'm not too sure about this, but there's a rumor that there's a wanted poster for you out on the streets of D.C. So, well, you know, I, I was honored uh, to pray. And what a lot of people don't realize, Lauren, is that I, I two-thirds of my prayer was simply lifted uh, in part from from ancient prayers, so to speak, from 1774 forward, I looked at some of those prayers that had been offered up in Congress since the beginning Mm -hmm. of our nation. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, you could listen to those prayers and wind up coming to Christ. They were so Christ-centered and God-honoring. But, um, well, you know the devil hates that. Oh, uh, hates that. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I've been condemned by 26 members, as, as you have mentioned. Uh, but here's, here's the problem. I say the problem. They criticized something that they didn't even realize was f- just part of the fiber of our American DNA. Right, right. That it was Benjamin Franklin who called Congress to their first session of prayer when they couldn't come to an agreement regarding uh, the the Constitution itself. Ben Mm -hmm. Franklin. Mm -hmm. um, It's been that way ever since. It was John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Franklin again that approved a a budget for the Capitol to have a chaplain. Right. And that's that's where that great tradition came from. So um, they just, they didn't they didn't understand or recognize American history. They didn't understand the First Amendment. Right. And they, did, they didn't understand that I wasn't praying to them. I was praying to God. I was praying to the Lord. And I, I asked the Lord to have mercy on us as a nation for our national sins. And boy, did I get chastised for implying that our nation has something to repent of. Well, but the, the problem is, is that the Democratic Party is filled with apologists for critical race theory and critical theory, and talking about you know reparations for slaves, yeah. and you know the you know the calling slavery, you know America's you know uh, initial sin, and you know I don't understand how they can look at what you said and not see what they've already called for in their own parties. Exactly right. 
Boy, you, you just mentioned something that's so powerful. Um, getting in here to Nashville, the first day I had, I went over to Franklin, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I deliberately went to Franklin, Tennessee because there's a Civil War battlefield there where 10,000 men died in four and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I was reading that. And then I thought for a moment, what if these men wouldn't have fought? There's 10,000 that died right here at this spot. What if they decided, you know what? We don't want to get involved. Yeah. We're just going to leave this. Let the South be the South. Let's cut a line down the middle of America. We'll stay up North and we'll just let slavery be slavery down there. No, they got involved because it was the godly thing to do. And you think about today, our nation, Lauren, I'm concerned. We've kicked God out of school. We've kicked him out of the courthouse. We've kicked him out of the public square. And our governor in California, he wanted to kick us out of our churches, if you think about it. Right, right. That, are you sure you really want that to happen? Because if you do that, that void is going to be filled by something else. Yeah. And that doesn't look good, if you think about it. What exactly did you say in Congress? I want to give people the exact... I don't know if you have the exact uh, quote here, but if you can paraphrase it, that'd be great. I can paraphrase it really good. You can go to my Facebook page or C-SPAN. Okay. They have it archived. So I said, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask you, Father God, in this great hall of where our decisions are made for our nation, that you would give wisdom and guidance to these, those who are in authority over the welfare of this country, that you'd give them decision-making process that pleases you. And so, Lord, cause them to remember also that you ultimately are the great judge of all of us in the last days. So, Lord, we pray that you would find mercy and forgiveness Mm -hmm. for our national sins and that we might have a holy fear for who you are. I pray this in the name of our crucified Savior and resurrected Lord, Jesus. Amen. And... That was the bomb. Wow. Wow. So I was, And they think that you have... Was it, what, pushing a Christian nationalist agenda. That's part of it, but the ill-qualified preacher seems a little bit like... Ah, yeah, that's, you know, that's personal. Yeah, you know what? But I, I think I know what they're doing because this isn't my first rodeo. They want me to respond. Ah, they they want me to jump into that. But the Bible says, I love this. The Bible says, never grab a dog by its ears. In the book of Proverbs, if you think about that image, if you grab a dog by its ears, that's not that's not right. happy for the dog, and his face is in your face. So the Bible says, don't do that. And don't answer, the scripture says, don't answer a fool in their folly. Right, right. So, yeah, it's not going to work. Wow, wow. Well, I'm, I'm, can you answer, though, because I've seen this a lot, because I cover this a lot, I've seen this attack. The Christian nationals, I mean, Rob Reiner has this, this, right. this, this documentary out trying to uh, provoke fear in people about Christian nationalism. What in your mind is Christian nationalism and why are they fearful of it? Well, I'm going to give you my answer, but I don't think they're using the same dictionary. Okay. Okay. okay? So for me, a Christian nationalist is what I read in the Mayflower Compact. If anybody would stop the time to just read two paragraphs, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's so tiny. And they announced there that we've come on this Mayflower in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They said to establish a 
the Christian faith. They didn't say build a nation. They yeah. said to establish, remember, they came here to worship freely. So based upon that, I've read a lot of American history. Um, I've read about John Harvard, who happened to be a pastor. Who, yes, who started, who started Harvard. Who started a college by the name of Harvard. Harvard. Go, and how, how far are they fallen? Boom. Exactly <laughs> that. So um, I did a lot of reading. Sam Adams is one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Samuel Adams, incredible man of God and man of patriotism. I hear he makes a great beer. Uh, that, that was his dad. His dad <laughs> made the beer. But anyway, um, the, the fact is that a Christian nationalist is a Christian who happens to live in a nation and that they seek the welfare. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says that you should seek the welfare of the city in which I have planted you for the betterment of all. So I happen to have been born in San Diego. So I want the best for San Diego and I want the best for California. Does that, what does that make me? Uh, I see it makes me be a believer who wants the streets clean and people safe and all lives honored, not just black or white or Puerto Rican. I'm Portuguese. Portuguese lives matter. No, listen, all lives matter because God made us in his image. That means every life has value to me. And so if that's a Christian nationalist um, then, then that's what I am. I was born in America. I would certainly expect those who are Christians who are Germans to be Christian German nationalists. They should be proud of Germany. Yeah, sure. They're Christians first. They should be, listen, if you're in England, you're a Christian first, but you should be proud of England. Right. Or if it's Peru, or it doesn't matter. But I think what they're saying is, and what they're doing, when they can't defeat you, you know that one of their tactics is to label you. Because when we're labeled, we have a tendency to recoil back. Right. And we cannot let them but do that. But don't let someone else define who no. you are. And I think that's what the the, the, the sort of um, tactic on the left is they're trying to define Christians and say Christian nationalists, and then that becomes the boogeyman. Exactly. Right? And that becomes the thing you need to fear. Oh, so-and-so, he's a Christian nationalist. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, what kind of, what's that? It's like, it's like the devil itself. It's like, no, it's not. Right. Right. And again, I think it goes back to what dictionary are you reading these definitions out of? Because apparently, clearly, George Washington was a Christian nationalist. But what dictionary are you reading it from? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I want to get to your book because it's called Days of Deception. How to Discern Truth from Culture's Lines. It's like flying off the shelves, basically. It's selling like hotcakes. We're shocked. Uh, right now, we know that Amazon has got to be restocked. We know that Walmart ran out. Uh, we know that Barnes & Noble's, the shelves went empty. So it's a well, great problem to have. Well, it certainly is a great problem. I, I hope it happens with my yes, book. may it happen to <laughs> yes. your book, too. But the idea, but, but what came... How did this book come about? During COVID. Mm-hmm. I, we saw the fear. Our church was open during COVID. And um, so when uh, the, the genesis to the title and to the series, I, I stopped our normal teaching, went to the series to teach this. It was when one great expert was con- was in complete opposite agreement with some other great expert as to what about this virus Mm -hmm. and then these university hospitals were warring with these university hospitals and it quickly became clear to me that um, no expert knew what was going on and it caused people to go straight to fear yes and in our state we were actually told to stay indoors in california and 
believe it or not, this is I'm pausing because I can't believe this even happened. But Gavin Newsom locked down the beaches. You could not go to the beach in, in California where there's doctors who now tell you that any flu or any virus or any ailment that you're feeling, you should go breathe air that has been ionized by the atmosphere, breathe it into your lungs and out through your nose, through your entire respiratory system, do that for 20 minutes when you're feeling ill, and the the ramifications are fantastic for your body. And it made sense, go figure, God did that. But, But when I saw people gripped with fear, and I looked around, everybody seemed to be like in a cloud yeah. of confusion. Thus, D-A-Z-E, living in the days yes. of, deception. Days of deception. And so we picked just a few topics, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's resonated with people. I want to go with the deceptions within the church. We'll go to the other, some other words, yeah. but I want to, what are some of the deceptions within the church? Jesus himself said, when he told the disciples, they led him out and they said, Jesus, look at the temple. Isn't it great? Jesus shocked them. He said, you see all these stones? Mm-hmm. Not one of them are going to be left upon another. They sh- they were all, they're all going to be torn down. They were sh- so rattled by that, they asked him a three-part question. Jesus, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Instead of Jesus unpacking the ten toes off of Daniel's end-time statue, <laughs> he didn't. He said, watch out that no one deceives you because false Christs, and false prophets will arise. And that means they're going to carry with them false message, misleading messages and, and false doctrines. He said, watch out. So the first thing on Jesus' heart was, don't be deceived. And so in the church today, if, if people go to a church that's not teaching the Bible, um, that's a huge warning sign. Well, how do they know? What, what, you know? Because I've been to certain churches, and I'm not going to name them. I, yeah. But it's like, okay, they read a scripture, and oh, we've, we've got the God, and then it's a totally different sermon about something. They read a, mm. they read a scripture here and there, but it's not focused on the teaching. I have to tell you something. That, that's what's taught in seminary. Mm. And there's some sort of a notion, it's about, it's about 80 years old, where... You, you you come to the people with a topic of how to manage your finances, so to speak. You use this verse to back up what you want to tell them. And that is, that's really come out of many seminaries. Versus what people don't realize, when you study the Bible, just the Bible for itself, right. and you look at it with the original language, when Jesus, it says he sat down and taught them, that teaching is a teaching that is expositional. It means he opened up a book of the Bible... By the way, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other book. It means that he would have taught them. Let's say he would have taught them chapter one of Deuteronomy, so to speak. Okay, mm-hmm. And then the Jews end their teachings with a parable. It's a beautiful, you know, the wrap up. Yeah. You yeah. know, let's do this. It's called a parable. It's to ca- para is to cast parable, parabolic, cast alongside the head, the ear, the truth. And people will take it or not. Jesus taught verse by verse, precept upon tree, precept, line upon line. People don't realize that. So the success of our church, for example, we've been doing this for 33 years. We teach through the book uh, books of the Bible, verse by verse. Yeah. And you'd say, gosh, that sounds boring. <laughs> well, about 15,000 adults come every Sunday to be bored, I guess. Wow. Okay, let's just take a brief break on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with Pastor Jack Hibbs. 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And we're back with Pastor Jack Hibbs um, talking about his book, Days of Deception. And I'm, I'm just fascinated because one of the things that I've noticed in the world is that people want, people believe that they can see Satan coming, mm. right? Mm. They just kind of believe, because, the, because all the TV shows, all the movies paint Satan as this character that you can all recognize. Yeah, and, red, red leotards. Right, and, you know, horns, tails, and yeah. you know, whatever. So, well, I can see that coming. It's like, no. And, I, and when, I would, when I've said the words, you know what? Satan never comes to you ugly. That's right. Ooh. Wise, wise word. Never comes to you ugly. I mean, it's going to be the finest suit. Absolutely. The finest looking man. Right. The, the most beautiful woman and the finest looking. She's going to be yep. the, never ugly. That's right. Never ugly. That's the problem with our world today, do you think, is that mm. they don't understand deception because they don't understand sin. That's right. Absolutely correct. The fear of God has left our culture. When I say fear, please, I want want to be clear. I'm not talking about being terrified of God. That's not the word. That's not the meaning. It's to be in awe. Like when you stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon, you're in awe. That's the same word. To be in awe of God. We're no longer in awe of God. So we don't really appreciate the price of the cross. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, I heard that. Jesus died on the cross. Hmm, wow, that must have been painful. Little do we realize how grotesque our sin is to warrant holy God dying on the cross for our sins. That's how much we need his love and forgiveness and grace is that he paid the price that we could never pay. And it's all to him. But when we don't mention, in fact, Lauren, the first word of the gospel, people are shocked. It's Jesus said it, Peter said it, Paul said it, all the apostles said it. But many people today, even in church, do not know the first word of the gospel. And here it comes. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. The word repent means metanoia. It means change your mind. Change your mind about how you view Christ and obey him. Come to him. Listen to him. He loves you, and he wants to make you a new person. And this is so powerful. We talked about this on your show, about how... You know, people in the modern world, particularly where I live now, which is in the Northeast in Manhattan and New York, you know, the the epicenter of what's happening in the world. And they want to discount Christians because they might have met a Christian here or there, Mm. or they hear something about, well, I can't believe that you could believe that thing about, you know, God, you know, invented or created the world in seven days. I can't believe that. In the end, you've got to make a decision about Jesus. That's right. You've You've got to understand, because Jesus challenged everybody his apostles but who do you say that i am who do you say that I am? once you make a decision about jesus that starts to change everything and i've seen this happen with atheists where they have just they've looked at jesus because that's where you go to try to debunk christianity right yep. seen it time after time jane warner wallace lee strobel uh, Dr. Michael Galen, Hugh Ross, all of these people start looking at Jesus and go, oh my goodness, and these are smart people. Smart guys. Smart, I mean, scientists, neurophysicists, you know, all of these people, and they look and like, oh my goodness, and then they start looking at what the Bible actually says about all that stuff, and they realize, oh, mm-hmm. much different. Much different. You know? and, and isn't that sad, because the Lord would have you and I, Lauren, live our lives in such a way that um, that 
people would see the gospel without reading it, they would see it from you and I. Yeah. Um, I think it was, uh, uh, it wasn't St. Augustine, maybe St. Saint Francis of Assisi said, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if you have to use words, do it. I think it was St. Francis because was uh, it? Pope Francis it's has, has repeated statement. that. Incredible yeah. So true. And so you're right. One of my favorite, he's now gone, but one of my favorite atheists was Christopher Hitchens. Mm. I loved him. I don't know why. I loved him. Great voice. <laughs> Great voice. And I, I loved the way his mind worked. But you notice that when he would get pressured by maybe John Lennox or Frank Turek or somebody else, mm-hmm. he always went personal. Yes. His argument fell apart and he began to talk about a mean, nasty, maniacal God. Yes. Oh, wait. So, Christopher, it's not that you're an atheist. It's your perception that he's running the universe wrong. So right. you, are, you are actually a believer. You just don't like the way he's running the, the world. That's really what it comes down to. But the truth is you've not really seen him. Because if you open up the pages of John's gospel, for example, yes. how can you not fall in love? With Jesus Christ. And actually, there is a whole book written about a young man, a young theologian who befriended Hitchens and actually took a long drive with him and had him read. Totten. His yes. last name's Totten. Yes, you know exactly. Yes, he did. And I had an encounter with Christopher Hitchens at a lunch once, and I was wearing a Jerusalem cross. And the first thing he said to me after he met me, you cover religion, why are you wearing a cross? It's like, well, I'm here on my own private, so why can't I? And he, it was personal immediately. You're so, so right about it didn't matter who you were. He met me for like 30 seconds and he immediately attacked me. Isn't that something? But one of the things I do know about Christopher Hitchens, one, and we, you know this, about pain and suffering are what drive people from God. That's right. His mother divorced or left his father, went down to Spain, got a lover. She ended up dying and the preacher was not very kind about her burial. Mm. thinking that she was a sinner and she deserved what she got. Horrible, yeah. And he had to go down and see the body that was almost decomposing and do all of the burial. And that was painful for him. Of course. Right? His brother, Peter Hitchens, who didn't have to witness that, he has come to Christ. Completely different. So he didn't witness the pain and the the horror of the church. Christopher did, and that pain and suffering stayed with him for the rest of his life, and he became this this combative atheist because of it. Listen, you are so right, and the the truth is for all of us. This is this is an exhortation coming from from me here. Everyone has access to the Bible these days. I would love. Listen, I'm. I'm actually slamming my own career here. <laughs> Stop listening to me and others. Read the Bible first. Read the Bible first because Christopher Hitchens could have read it himself. Did he go through pain and sorrow? Yes. But then so did C.S. Lewis. Yes. And he wrote the book, The Problem with Pain. Yes. It, 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 mat- it matters how you handle it. That's why you've written this devotion. How am I going to handle this day? God is going to be so good that through your devotion, he's going to speak to those who read it and something will happen in their day that will cause that meditation of yours and that verse to pop up for the moment. His word never returns void. Right. And we all have access to the truth. The thing is, are you pursuing the truth? And I got to tell you, you were referencing Larry Totten earlier. This is the man Mm -hmm. who took that long drive and read to Hitchens John's gospel. And it is my prayer. I don't know why 
Lauren, that I, I loved Hitchens, but I never met him. Hmm. I would pray for him, but we never had exchanged one word ever. And I hope this doesn't sound too corny, but my God doesn't waste anything. Right. Why would God put him on my heart so often? I am not going to be surprised if I meet Christopher Hitchens in heaven. Wow. Wow. I think that would be an awesome thing. Keep praying, keep praying, and keep praying. You know, one of the things that you've spoken on here, one of the things I always hear in the pop culture, in the secular culture, is to charge people with being on the right side of history. Mm. You And you know all the cultural norms or the cultural mm -hmm. um, sacred cows these days. Yeah. But the real issue is being on the right side of eternity. That's right. You know, yep. being on the right side of eternity because that is the God of history. That's right. Well, so. you're saying something extremely profound because in, in Scripture, or in, I should say, Bible uh, discipline, it's called eschatology. Eschatology is the fact that God announced in the Old Testament, I know the future before it happens because I've written it, I see it. He lives in the eternal now. So the difference from the Bible than any other religious book is the Bible is the only book that is 100% accurate regarding its prophecies. And Jesus so much said, I've told you these things in advance, that when they happen, you will believe. Listen, he said, you will know that I am he, the word that he used is ego emi in Greek. It means that I am the I am. That's why people freaked. You know, people today will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Ooh, oh, that's not that's true. That's not true. <laughs> Jesus not only claimed to be God, he said ego emi. He announced that the one that Moses met in Sinai at the I bush, am that I am. it was me. <laughs> is that awesome? He's the eternal one. He said before Abraham ever was, I am. I am. And that should have just made the... Cap just quake in their boots. Yeah, absolutely. Or their sandals. Sandals. It was sandals. Yeah. Um, uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith um, Podcast. I want to remind people that they can get your book. Um, Amazon. The, uh, yeah. Amazon. Living in the Days of Deception. And Days is D-A-Z-E. <laughs> um, how to discern truth from culture's lies. Um, and you are a pastor at Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills, yep. California. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Lauren, thank you for having me. And it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.